Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Jeff Sands, a veteran of corporate turnarounds, shares his winding path. Learn why a graduate from the South moved to Alaska for 10 years, why he got his MBA, how he transitioned to his family business, and what he did when they were wiped out by Hurricane Katrina. This is a very interesting episode, especially in light of how COVID-19 is rocking financial markets and economies around the world. Enjoy. All right, Jeff, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. You bet. Great to be here. To be great if you could give the listeners just a short summary of your bio. Um, so real quickly, grew up in a family manufacturing business and um, in a long line of entrepreneurs and was always determined to be an entrepreneur myself. Economics degree, MBA, um, worked outside the family business for 12 years, went back, worked in the family business, um, experienced my first turnaround there. What did you guys, what did you guys make? We uh, printed textiles. So we took um, raw polyester, printed artistic designs on it, and um, sold it stuff your mom would buy to decorate the house. Uh, pillows, um, the decorative flag in front of the home, stuff like that. And it was a family business. Your, your dad started it? Your, your... Yeah, my dad started it from scratch. My mom wouldn't let him put it in the uh, garage. Um, so he started with a very small rented space and one little heat transfer machine. And Built it to about 280 employees at its peak. Great. So then you joined right out of school. Right no, of- I, um, I, I um, school and then afterwards, I spent eight years working out of the, uh, you know, four years in school and then eight years working out of the family business um, in a variety of industries, biotech startup, Fortune 500 distributor, uh, work for a crazy, crazy Russian importer. Um, we're swapping out Russian sporting goods for, um, uh, chicken quarters, entire shiploads full of chicken. Uh, and just, to, just, to, just to give people some context, when did you, you graduated undergrad in 89, correct? 89. Yep. So, um, right before a recession. Yes. Um, and I went up, I read way too much Jack London as a kid. I was obsessed with living in Alaska since I was like 12, okay. which is odd for a kid growing up in New Orleans. But, um, I wanted to go straight from high school to Alaska. My parents convinced me to go to college. And um, I went as the, I think like the day after graduation, went up to Alaska, lived there for my 20s with my uh, college girlfriend, who's now my wife, and um, got my MBA, worked in a wide variety of jobs. But, you know, a lot of it was just supporting a fantastic uh, single, you know, kind of free before children lifestyle. And what would you do there? What were you just hiking? 
uh, ice climbing, mountaineering, skiing, um, supporting the lifestyle a lot. Working hard, put ourselves through uh, grad school at nights, but, um, you know, pre-kids, you have all the time in the world. It's funny, I have a lot of family down in New Orleans. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, great. As you know, great town. Great town. I was just not many like it. Yeah, I was just down there for the holidays. It was awesome. Um, Oh, cool. So... You get the MBA. Why get the MBA if you're kind of this free spirit out in Alaska? You just felt like you could get better jobs out there? Because uh, I knew Alaska was short-lived and I, I knew I wanted to, I, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my father's successful one. My mom was, my grandmother. Um, you know, and, and when you see entrepreneurship work, who wouldn't be attracted to that? And when you um, kind of, going into business school, did you have an idea of something you wanted to start? Was it just like, no, I just want that foundational skill set? Pretty much the foundational skill set. You know, a lot of, I've always wanted to know what I don't know. And I've always wanted to be able to size up, you know, what, what don't I know? I don't like being unprepared. Was your dad kind of pushing you to get it, to come back and help run the business or? No, uh, no, he really wasn't. He was great. He gave me my freedom. Uh, you know, he had a strict rule. Can't come back before you're 30. Um, you know, go get outside experience, but, um, you know, really not. Isn't that rare? Isn't that rare? Didn't he feel like he could teach? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I told uh, my son the same thing. I've told all my kids the same thing, you know, go, go tackle the world and, if you, if you want to come back, great. But otherwise, uh, go figure it out. Go, go realize what a real boss is like. Yeah, exactly. Go, go realize how hard actual life is, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you're out there in Alaska, was it, was it like touch and go at any point? Or were you just like employed by, I know you did a lot of random things. Um, uh, a lot of random things kept my, like, you know, I keep my lifestyle, my overhead low. Uh, gives yeah. you lots of freedom. And uh, I still recommend that. Very cool. So you're, you get at the MBA, you come back and it's now time. You're worked at, yeah, Louisiana. worked at the family business, uh, kind of worked my way up from uh, sales uh, through operations and everything else. Got into our first turnaround in um, 2002. Um, our biggest product at the time was decorative flags. 9-11 happened. Everybody put up, um, you know, um, the, the American flag and nobody flew a decorative flag for like a year. And, um, our revenues dropped, oh, what was it? It was like 70% in three years or something. Do you mind sharing what the revenue was? Uh, peak was right around 30 million. So um, 30, it went from about 30 to 10. Yeah. Maybe 12 or something. It's hard to remember. Um, yeah. and my joke is it took me three years to pull up. Well, my joke is it took me three years to pull off a six month turnaround. And, um, the, the shock was, I thought it was pretty clever. Um, the bank came in, really put the squeeze on us. Um, our CFO was playing uh, tricks with the inventory that shame on me, I didn't count. Shame on, and the problem was I had started another business. My dad had retired. We brought in professional managers to run the cash cow. They screwed it up and then they hid their losses. And then the bank saw it. The bank came in and squeezed us. And um, I went home and I'm like, I don't know a damn thing about fixing a business. Um, went through all my college textbooks, nothing. Went to Barnes and Noble the next day. There's four racks of management books and um, not a single title on, on the topic. It, it's like studying life without ever contemplating sickness or, or death. You know, it's just, and, and you go to Barnes and Noble and it's, you know, it's just garbage. You know, just all this hype, hype, hype about being an entrepreneur and hype, hype, hype nothing about dealing with anything like we're dealing 
Today, we're recording this on March 17th, the world's melting down from coronavirus, and yeah. nobody has learned anything about dealing with any of this crap in any business school. It's, do, you, it's do, you feel like the turn, do you feel like the turnaround a sort of roadmap is, is much different on a, like a service business for a manufacturing business, or are there certain kind of broad lessons you can apply across? across? Uh, a huge broad lessons. And really it's uh, levers. And the, I, I would say the biggest difference in the different businesses, business models is the availability of levers. Manufacturing is really complex. So there's a lot you can pull on. Um, yeah. And you know, the, uh, a, a vacant piece of real estate, there's nothing you can do but call a real estate broker. Mm. A, a vacant factory with, you know, AR and inventory and a workforce and machinery and equipment. Those are all lever, levers you can pull and are all assets you can squeeze cash out of. Interesting. So you know, ser service business has less, but you know, you yeah. still got, you don't have AR, but you still got lots of other stuff. For sure. So you're, you're working kind of in the family business. It's dramatic downturn for <clears> 102 <throat> and you start kind of mm. just trying to figure out what's going on. So what, what did you do? Like what, what, well, we did, did er we did everything too damn slow, which is the biggest issue. Uh, we probably did generally the right things. We just did them too slow, too timid, but three years later, everything was wonderful. We had a huge product backlog. You know, we, we leaned ourselves way down, great product development backlog, uh, pre-booking lots and lots of orders going into our busy season every single thing, making a profit, generating cash. Everything was marvelous except the balance sheet. It was so good that I left for a, uh, a long overdue vacation. During that vacation, Hurricane Katrina rolled in, wiped out everything. Um, I came zipping back and, um, and dealt with it from there. Our house was uh, flooded, our neighborhood was destroyed, the, the business was damaged, all the employees scattered. And I spent, uh, you know, I spent about eight, nine months living in a trailer with three young kids and my wife rebuilding the business, rebuilding the house, um, got them both rebuilt. But, you know, at, at the end of that, um, uh, in our balance sheet was weak going in and, um, we just never got it turned around enough, uh, ended up selling at a loss. Uh, I, well, I'll tell you, don't ever talk to a bankruptcy lawyer if you don't know what the hell you're doing, because their answer to everything is file bankruptcy. So we went and talked to a bankruptcy lawyer. They said, Oh, that's really easy. File bankruptcy. Next thing you know, I'm filing personal corporate bankruptcy and then thinking like, what, what were my options? You know, what was, and that created, I'm a, apparently I'm a really sore loser because that put a huge chip on my shoulder and I just wanted to re-litigate re and refight what had happened to me over the last several years. And I just became completely obsessed. I gave up reading and, uh, and uh, hobbies and just read everything I could on insolvency and um, realized how many good options there were and how much better I could have played the game. And then for myself, it was really looking for another shot. Um, so, you know, I was looking for a turnaround because I wanted to go refight some old battles. But at the same time, once I did and got that out of my system, then I'm helping entrepreneurs save their business and not go through what I went through. And, you know, and then that's very rewarding. Then you go save a couple of businesses where it's the, the biggest industrial employer in the, in the county and the county really needs it. And it's a rundown county in the Rust Belt and you're going to, you know, a hundred jobs are about to disappear and everybody really needs it. And you save that. And it's just the greatest feeling in the world. And 
now I do it just because I'm hooked on that sort of superhero feeling. It's just magnificent. Um, and the so downs, you said you, you wanted to kind of go, so you filed for bankruptcy. What kind of got you back going? What was that next shot for you? Oh, I languished for a while. Um, and then, what, what um, did you guys do? You know, you're in that trailer. What was the, what was the next step? Uh, moved Vermont, got away from uh, hurricanes, and um, uh, ultimately it took a lousy job, got my feet underneath me, then hung my shingle as a turnaround consultant, starved for uh, five months, mm -hmm. and then got um, got a lead on a company in Detroit, flew out there, met with the owner. Um, he hired me that day, and um, this was in 09. Their revenues had fallen 90% in nine months. How did you sell yourself as a turnaround consultant? given that, you know, you had that, that past where you saying, well, I won't let this, I mean, cause you did, you did have some good track records in terms of turning things around, mm -hmm. but then uh, a lot, a lot. It, it was easy uh, to say like, okay, well, Hurricane Trainer, that was it. But, but in terms of um, how you sold yourself, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that's really important for people to know how to sell themselves when they're going into meetings like that. Uh, I, I, lots and lots of fake confidence. <laughs> that's pretty much it i knew i was starving i hadn't brought a nickel into the family of five and months and um i lots and lots and lots of confidence and um yeah. it worked and he he didn't have a lot of great options uh the bank was foreclosing he was leaving for three months for intensive cancer treatments oh man and um and he didn't have any other good options thank god and i took it and i went after oh my god i went after that thing uh, like it was a battle of a lifetime. And, um, but you know, two months later we turned a small profit and that's wow. literally revenues fell 90%. It was a complete bloodbath. Um, wow. We got a small, right, can, you share, can you share what industry it was in? Uh, yeah, it was metal machining. Okay. And, and why did, why did biggest, it take a 90% hit and we just flooded with, uh, Caterpillar. They were a, um, a high cost, uh, high quality, um, uh, aerospace uh, shop. They had like, you know, a hundred parts under Mars Rover. They used to do all this fantastic work. Got it. And then the owner wasn't really paying attention. The salesperson realized that he got as many high fives bringing in a million dollar order from Caterpillar as he did from Boeing. Of course, the order from Caterpillar had like no margin in it whatsoever. Uh, but he felt like a superstar because revenue's up, their gross margin sucked. They got completely pregnant with Caterpillar, then like what's probably going to happen now, you know, the order book just vanishes just every week. The order book gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden you're like, there goes, there's a 90% decline in revenues. Jeez. It was, it was shocking. Yeah. But, um, so besides layoffs, obviously, or furloughing or, you know, getting people so to uh, got the, head of sales who was quitting um, and convinced him to stick with us. And we basically went back to the customers and fought like hell, clawed our way back to business. Um, you know, also timing helps. This was August of 09. So, you know, the economy was sort of bouncing back. Yep. Um, you know, just like we're going to see in six months, you know, a, a turnaround six months from now is going to be a lot easier than a turnaround right now. Um, yeah. And there's, I always say, you know, it's lots of timing and the lots and lots and lots of luck in the turnaround. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll meet a, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, a life coach who will tell you there's no such thing as luck. It's all about preparation or some crap, but you know, but everybody believes in bad luck, right? Yeah. Cancer and hurricanes and tornadoes hit and viruses hit and there's good luck and bad luck. Uh, some comes fast, some comes slow. 
And quite frankly, if you can get the good luck early and the bad luck later, you'll probably survive. If it's yeah. the opposite, you'll probably burn up your cash and your options uh, be, before you can. Yeah, or, or, or you're just wounded. And, um, you know, like we've bought big old industrial rundown factories with old rundown equipment. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the equipment will go two years before it breaks and sometimes they'll break the month after you buy it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that you know, it, it's just, it's all luck. And then that equipment breaks the first month, you're screwed as far as cash flow. There goes your whole model, everything's yep. out the window. Two years, I can generate enough cash and enough cushion and comfort that um, when the equipment goes down in two years, we can work around it. So tell me a little bit about, so you went into that, that was kind of like a really critical um, engagement. So was it like a full-time, you're just coming in, you're doing this turnaround, you're CEO, you have the full reign since he was out? Yep, and, exactly. And, and so, I'll tell you my two best turnarounds for clients. One was this guy who left for three months of cancer treatment. The other was a, uh, the CEO uh, committed suicide the day before I was hired. Um, but when there's nobody around to second guess, um, it's amazing how, how, how fast you can move and what kind of progress you can make. When you're stuck with the CEO who doesn't want you to cancel the country club membership, still has his eyes set on an RV for the summer and, and all that lunacy, it just slows you down and, um, and, and you don't make nearly as good progress. And doing, um, you, you know, it, doing turnarounds as an investor, obviously you don't have this legacy CEO, um, makes it a lot more enjoyable. So tell me, but, how long was that engagement where you kind of got things profitable really fast, but then, you know, the economy was still pretty weak in 09. So did he come back after his treatment and you just handed the reins back and yeah, pretty much. And they want to pretend like they never met you. Um, you know, it was, of course, it was because it's embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. Like no one ever goes and tells their friend about the marriage counselor to help them out. It's almost like if you came into wall street oasis and you're like, Oh, you idiot. Like click, 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 click. And like the revenue tripled or quadrupled. And I was like, Oh man, like that, I'd be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, you send me on your way. Yeah. And, uh, way that was and... me. Cause I was so smart to bring in this. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. There's, there's and, a lot of ego involved. And, and, you know, so like that time I kind of wanted to hang around cause I didn't have any other options and I needed the money, but Can you tell reality, me a little bit about the, the arrangement you made with him in terms of like pay. Was it like a, just a, a retainer or was it a, a success fee, anything like that? Yeah. Let, let me just hit that last point is, it's good. I need to leave. And I've realized that, you know, I'm a change agent. I'm not a uh, peacetime general. And um, once change, you know, what's the other thing? Sometimes some towns need a gunslinger. Some need a sheriff. Yeah. Um, you know, once everything's fixed, I, 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 I don't need to be there. Um, and I need to move on. Uh, fees, you know, ranges the, um, you know, the, the bigger firms like to do an hourly fee and, and stuff a whole lot of consultants in there, run up the bill and all that. Um, I, I try to do a daily, if I can work it to a monthly or something, um, I can, there's lots of options with, you know, um, gain sharing, um, equity. There's a lot of, lots and lots of ways to skin the cat. And I, I would, you know, make hourly is probably the industry standard, but given how, like how bad a position you were in prior to taking this role, where you just, did you just accept whatever he said or what was the. Did you negotiate at all or how did you get yourself to negotiate when you're kind of, you were going to do it for whatever? I was probably so scared to death. I was negotiating with myself. I was um, worried about getting the gig. Um, right. Yeah, he didn't. He did. I, and I underbid the hell out of it. Um, 
but you know, say lovey. It was um, it was my first business that was not my own, and it um, it, it it gave me the confidence to go get others, and it gave me a you know a, a foothold on a track record. Was and, he at least willing to vouch for you to other potential clients? Yeah. I don't know if I ever did it help. Did he ever help you or you just had uh, that confidence. Now you could go out and be like, yeah, I just had trouble. So tell me how, so that was what, three months, four months. What was it? Oh, uh, that was like six months. Oh, six months. Okay. So then did you immediately get your next one or was there another? Yeah, one? Immediately no. went, uh, you know, mostly through bank workout departments. And, um, uh, that's where I got most of the deal flow and, and where I've gotten it over the years. And then, sorry, explain one, where, where did you get that workout departments? Uh, yeah. Bank workout departments. So where are you, who are you contacting? Uh, really a, a bank's got two departments, sales and collections. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, the sales guys, the, uh, guy with a great, uh, good smile, strong handshake, low, low golf handicap and an expense account. The workout guys is troll in the uh, basement who, who's a collector and that's it. And he doesn't have an expense account or a golf game. And um, that when you get transferred from one to the other, you know, you're in trouble. And, but those are the folks I work with. And um, yeah, their, their job is, their, their job's tough. They have to get the bank's money back, but also maintain their standing in the community, be decent people about it. Yeah. Um, and so tell me about like, how are you developing relationships with those collection um, people? Or like, how are you mm -hmm. doing, how are you in terms of deal flow? somebody who, who's looking for a turnaround who feels confident is it it's a good it's a good source to like befriend those people in the community or just so you know yeah. who the clients no, are? If you look at the tma the turnaround management association they rank it uh bank workout second would be bankruptcy attorneys and third uh would be cpas okay. that's useful thank you and then if you're on the investment side it's you know mostly investment bankers and brokers or uh, some corporate development folks, you know, who will do divestor shares out of big, big companies. So for all the listeners right now, do they, do you, would you recommend them going or targeting restructuring? <laughs> no, I'd say, say the hell away from this. Um, yeah. really? it, uh, you know, it's, um, it's fast, crazy, chaotic. Yeah. Um, and if it fits your lifestyle, it's the greatest thing in the world. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but it is, you got to be comfortable breaking lots and lots and lots of stuff to to make something work okay so and, tell me about uh, your next or one of your next clients what was the kind of the, the toughest any that you weren't able to save i'm sure there's some I and mean, some are just ir irreparable but yeah uh some are irreparable um probably it, where the ceos are still there yeah and the key <laughs> is really it, it's like a, a, a plan of cascading failures you know so first thing is we're gonna we're gonna jam sales and grow our way out of this but if that doesn't work, then we're going to work on a strategic sale. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to work on selling to a financial buyer. And if that doesn't work, we're mm -hmm. going to have a panic sale to anybody in the world. And if that doesn't work, well, then we'll talk to the bank and have a slow, orderly, peaceful liquidation where everybody, you know, where it's clean. And the real, what that, do, what that does is what I didn't have. It allows the owner to go out with a nice, clean plan, having every shot at success, and at the end, they have their dignity and, and, and their pride intact, and they've been treated well, and the bank treats them with respect. Um, and that's really what a good, the whole secret to turnarounds is having a really good plan and executing it really, really fast. Because bad, bad news is coming at you, but bad news only moves so fast. And if you can move faster than the bad news, you can gain on it. If you sit there, Right now, the news, bad news is spreading pretty quickly. And I, I think there's a lot of people just sitting there and um, yeah. they're just getting run over. 
Yeah. Interesting. So tell me about kind of the next, you got your taste of, of success. You got your confidence. You started landing clients. You started kind of bringing in some, some cash into the family and feeling good. Then uh, it, it, it's continued forever. You started, when, when did you start writing the book? Um, so let's see. So that was, you know, so like Detroit was 09, 2013. I bought a business with a uh, friend Mm -hmm. And did her own turnaround. So I've done, I'm kind of a mix between consulting and, uh, and yes. doing it as an investor. Mm -hmm. And I was headed up to northern Manitoba in the middle of winter um, for a paper mill that had just been purchased. And um, I was thinking, you know, I, I do all this from scratch every time, blank piece of paper. Nobody knows anything. And I got to like take them through the whole program. If I only had a playbook or something that I could give the people, like just bring them up to speed faster. And so I just started outlining and uh, I was up there for, you know, six weeks in the dead of winter and um, just started outlining and then filling in the skeleton and then. And then, quite frankly, it spun out of control and became a book over the next couple of years. <laughs> um, and and so how did you have time? It, was it in between clients that you did that? Or I guess at that point, you were an investor in a, in a company. What gave you the time for that? I, I did it uh, nights and weekends in, um, in Canada. And then the second big blast was I spent a month in Spain and I wrote it in, uh, in the mornings in Barcelona uh, before the U.S. woke up. And it was pretty much those two big blasts. And... Um, Somebody entered, and I had this. Why don't you show the book and tell tell people about it so they can go buy it? Corporate turnaround artistry fix any business in 100 days, and um, this takes you from getting in trouble, dealing with the bank, restructuring your debt on the other side, and coming out clean and healthy. Um, and it's everything I've learned from my own experiences and uh, fixing dozens and dozens of other books. And um, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. For people, be great, and I'll tell you, I so, <laughs> nobody likes a turnaround topic. I posted the other day on uh, WSO saying basically, "Hey, look, we're in a recession. Here's a book, and my, it's a valuable resource for somebody." Mm -hmm. And all I'm getting is monkey crap thrown at me because <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to talk about the, it. The, well, I, th I think it's because the community is very, very um, protective of the of people not not of coming on promoting something especially if you're a new member so that's that's probably why if you come on with like an ama and mm -hmm. then we embed this podcast and whatnot i think they'll be much more open ah, okay it's almost like if you give you the green light you know give you the green light as a you know you're available as a mentor or whatnot or even if you're not i think people will um be much more open to asking you a lot well, that's a much more sensible approach because <laughs> people people don't want like they they don't know they don't know so they just, yeah yeah they just i get how it could look bad yeah. So I think, um, so, you know, you're, you're running this company for six years. Tell me about that, that path from 13 to even you're still actually still running. Uh, no, we sold that one off. Um, okay. and I think, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that what I see right now, and, and I saw this in nine and I didn't have much of a platform. No, not anybody would really listen to me. If you think about driving a car, and you use, and, you know, turnarounds, uh, there's lots of metaphors, none are so great. But, you know, take the economy the last four years, everybody, 10 lane interstate, everybody's hauling ass at 80 miles an hour, everything's fantastic. But we know there's a, you know, like now we know there's a turn up ahead, right? So everybody's going to go into this turn after flying down the road real fast. If you know anything about, you know, driving race cars or anything, the way you do a turn is you brake hard going in, you accelerate fast going out. Mm -hmm. that's the exact same thing you got to do with the business. I mean, right now, today, quite frankly, weeks ago, 
People need to be stomping on their brakes, hoarding cash, doing their cuts, raising prices, moving their balance sheet around, doing everything absolutely possible and get in a position. And let's say, you know, the, 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 the virus is going to peak in three months and the, the stock market will start looking good in six. You should be jamming the gas at month three coming out of it. Do you, because do you think you that? I, I almost feel like peak panic will be in three weeks, early April, when the, the rate of, I think the testing is so far behind that forget about mm -hmm. that, but the actual, the actual um, you can't avoid reporting deaths, right? So in terms of if not to be too morbid, but in, you know, 19, there's the 19 days plus the five day incubation. So like 20 something days from when they really started shutting things down, especially here in Santa Clara County, where I live, which is like one of the epicenters mm -hmm. of, the, of the breakouts. I'm thinking like early April, we're going to see the worst acceleration of, of actual deaths in the area, mm -hmm. which is really, and I feel like the market has already come down so far, so fast that it's almost ex that that expectation hasn't been maybe fully priced in the chaos that will happen, I think in the next few weeks. Um, but I so feel you, like, yeah. You look at 09, I think the market bottomed in March. Um, and I don't think revenues at manufacturing companies bottomed till probably very similar to what I had in Detroit, August, September. Um, yeah. Oh, so I think there's going to be Oh, for sure, the the yeah, yeah. ripple effects for sure will be dragged on. But I'm I'm thinking more market. Like, what do you think in terms of like the the price action and, and stuff like that? You feel no, like no, I don't follow the stock market. Oh, you um, don't. Okay. So. No, I, I just no. I, I agree with you in terms of the, as the a spectator. It just seems so disjointed from reality. Yeah. What the economy grew two point seven percent last year, and the market went up thirty, and everybody nobody saw a problem with that. Um, but but they're all horrified when when, when they start matching each other. It's I don't know. Yeah, I, I like smaller businesses where, um, you know, where I know what's going on. Cool. I have some controls. But at any rate, um, so what you, you watch, 90% of the companies will break too late. They're not doing it now. They're not getting aggressive. They're thinking about it. And then they'll be scared and sort of emotionally wrecked and everything. And they're not going to accelerate out of this, but somebody will. And there's going to be this huge distancing. You take, take an industry now that's fairly close. Mm -hmm. A year from now, somebody, the top person, the bottom person is going to be gone. The top person is going to be really healthy and we'll come out of the stronger and everybody gets to make that choice right now, but probably no one's making that choice, mm -hmm. but it is very conscious. You can make, you can turn crisis into the best thing to ever happen to you mm -hmm. only because everybody else is getting their ass kicked so bad that they're not paying attention. Interesting. But boy, you, know, you think it's just you think it's mindset like almost impossible the psychology of it is just like horde and fear and or yeah. just like fear paralyzing fear instead of actually going out and executing yeah yeah and you know you, you go through it uh, enough times that you know like i'm just smiling and whacking and you know kicking ass and, and making changes knowing that it's going to work mm -hmm. um because I've been through it dozens of times. It, my first one, I was a mess. I did everything wrong and too slow and too late. And this is yeah. a lot of people's first ones or maybe yeah. it's the second, but they forgot over, you know, 15 years of sunshine. So tell me a little bit about, so um, that business where you were, you were acquiring distressed industrial operations, mm -hmm. correct? And kind of yeah. taking them into as a roll-up strategy? Uh, no, all, all different, uh, all, all different. different industries, just very opportunistic. And so how many uh, businesses did you acquire over those? Uh, six in six, seven. seven years. Great. And 
were yeah, you know, and they don't all work, but uh, some do. Okay, and so you came out okay from all that. Yeah, absolutely. Great, absolutely. And then, so yeah, tell me. So, what are you? What are you up to nowadays? What's the? What's For the, the game first for? time in four years, I have nothing going on. It's the That's greatest awesome. feeling in the world. Um, I'm Did helping a friend do a wind down. Um, who feels better and better about his decision every day is the, the whole rest of the world's going bananas. Um, mm -hmm. Showing out at home and. Um, I'll take on a bunch of small projects and there's going to be some big fat juicy acquisition falling in my lap in the next six months. And I'm just doing everything I can to stay, uh, stay available for that. And that means like stay liquid, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, uh, it's as much time as anything. Right. Uh, you know, if I'm consumed on something uh, on somebody else's project, I can't do my own. And I think that that's the opportunity cost is uh, the biggest cost. And so you feel like uh, right now, I guess you already have those relationships. So you're going to start hearing of potential real distress somewhere mm -hmm. with good fundamentals underlying it that you feel like, Ooh, that's, this is a great opportunity to come in. Yeah. I guess tell, talk to me a little or tell the listeners a little bit of like what, what typically you look for in a turnaround candidate as an investor. It's, um, it, it's a part of it's undescribable, right? Kind of like an architect uh, goes into a house and knows if it has good bones. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, good, good customers, blue chip customers certainly stand out, um, a part in an industrial product. If you make a small switch on a Toyota Camry, you know, there's demand for the next five years. If you make anything on a shelf in any retail store, they really don't need you tomorrow. They can run their store just fine without your stuff or, or somebody else's version of yours. But if you have an engineered part on something, other than maybe a 737, you're probably doing pretty good. Um, so, you know, you look at that and then leverage. Um, who are your customers? Who are your vendors? Who are your employees? Is there a union? And, and who's the bank? And if you can get all four, you get your customers to consume, your lenders to lend, your suppliers to supply, and your workers to work, it works. Mm. The pro what, what happens in a turnaround is, uh, you know, everybody stopped doing that. It's all falling apart. And I've just got to go convince everybody to, um, to re let's go all get back in our roles and do our job. And we've, we've had pretty good success taking over factories that have actually stopped production. And, yeah. um, and we, you know, basically bring the band back together and go around. Customers wow. still want us, vendors still want us, employees still want us. And if you can hold that together, you, you got a business. How much do you feel like, you know, it's case by case, but, is a lot of the value add that you bring, do you feel like just knowing how to negotiate with the banks? Uh, yeah. And, and I would say everybody else, you know, the banks yeah. and everybody's got their weakness and leverage and everybody wants something out of this. Right. Right. And it's usually the return of their money. And the only way to, in a good turnaround, the only possible way they're ever going to get paid is through future cash flows. Mm -hmm. So they have to support me, whether they like it or not. They have to support me to have an opportunity of getting paid back through future cash flows. And in terms of the specifics of the bank loan, I mean, if it's a secured loan, like senior secured loan, isn't there an option also just to, to whatever they call it, not foreclose on it, but just to take, yeah, take ownership, but a lot of them don't actually want that, right? Yeah. They're going to come up short. I'll tell you, if you're a small company at a big bank and they can, Get, and they can liquidate you and get all their money back, they're just going to liquidate your ass and that's it. Um, but if you're, if you're not that, then you have a chance of working with them. 
smaller banks will actually want to put the uh, credit back on their books, even though it's been downgraded um, through um, uh, the regulators. And, um, you know, or you can move to another bank. You know, often you'll go from a, a big bank to an ABL shop. If, if you're deep, it's a, it's a dumb thing to say, like, you know, if I owe the bank a million dollars, I have a problem. If I owe the bank $10 million, the bank has a problem. But there's some truth to that. If yeah. the banks own a bunch and they can't extract it through an auction, then, right. and you can give them a really good plan that they believe in, they'll support that plan um, to get paid back in full. Let's talk a little bit. I'll let you go soon, but t tell me a little bit more about as an investor, um, for people who are interested in going, following a similar path to you, how do they even get into that? Can they buy a distressed small company, say making only $100,000 in revenue, but no profit? Is, it, is that too small or, is it, or do these things work from a tiny scale up all the way to the multi-million dollar? They probably work at a tiny scale. They have to work at a tiny scale. Um, I don't go down that far. You know, our range is probably 30 million low uh, to 500 million high as far as revenues go. Uh, yeah. Almost always negative EBITDA, so that's not a good measure. Um, but yeah, the fundamentals, and you could certainly take over, I think, any business and improve the way it's running. And most, here's another secret. Like how do, how do people develop these skills? Is the only way to do it is to actually start? Like how, how should no, they start as, as a consultant like you like you did? Is that the best way to kind of, Game. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, when I did, uh, first thing I did is I, the Turnaround Management Association has a certification program, Certified Turnaround Professional, uh, okay. three different books, three different exams, uh, management, finance, and law. And I, so I bought the books and studied them. I thought, well, here, here's sort of my, my, my entry ticket, right? If I know what's in these books, I should know probably what I need to know. And that's what I got. It's it's really hard for a young person to get into the industry because you have to know so much about all these different topics. They all flow together. Mm -hmm. And if you know two and not the third, you're going to struggle. Um, but the fact that, you know, I, I know what the factory is doing. I understand the cash flow forecast. And I, I, and I understand all my options in and out of bankruptcy court when I'm dealing with the bank. I can have a complete conversation. Right. You understand the legal aspects. You understand the financial aspects of how to actually do yeah. versus the And I know, and I know what the company's actually, you know, capable of. And, right. and, and then the fourth thing is the psychology and the people. And mm -hmm. you got to, you got to motivate hundreds of people who are completely demotivated and have a bad attitude. Yeah. And you got to somehow get them not only having a good attitude, but working twice as hard as they have previously and, um, and, and doing things and, and trying harder than they ever have before. And, you know, if you can pull that off, that sure helps. So any other guidance or any, any wisdom you've learned over the years that you would tell your younger self or tell younger listeners before we call it? Oh my God, this, this is the greatest opportunity in the world right now with coronavirus and um, get in there, get aggressive, get knocked around and, um, and, and, you know, learn the hard way Great. Uh, and try and, and manage risk. Uh, listen, when I, I'm an investor, I manage risk. I, don't really look at upside. I but if I have my downside controlled, and my upside will bounce, that's okay. It's it's you know. But I I've been wiped out. I know what it's like. Um, my partner's been wiped out. He knows what it's like. And I don't think most people are um, as shell shocked and risk adverse as we are. But um, I like it that way. That's great. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, say tell tell the listeners your book one more time. 
Uh, corporate turnaround artistry, fix any business in 100 days, available on Amazon. Great. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks Appreciate a lot, Patrick. Take care. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. Until next time. Thank you.